chapter 7. Would you turn there with me, please? John chapter 7. A couple announcements while you're turning there. Oops. All right. Uh, first announcement. Next Sunday afternoon is going to be our annual church baptisms. And so uh, I encourage you to uh, come on out and be a part of that. If you'd like to be baptized, uh, make sure you come out and be a part of that. We'd love to uh, to baptize you. And I love baptisms because it's always a wonderful time of watching people who are declaring and testifying, yes, God is doing a work in my life and I commit myself to him and I want to follow him. And that's so exciting to see that work take place and the hearts be transformed. And so I encourage you, if you'd like to be baptized, come on out. It's going to be in the home of Jesse and Rose Hernandez. There's a flyer in the bulletin with uh, the address, and so you can get there. Um, but uh, if you're not planning to be baptized, I'd encourage you to come also, because we're going to be grilling up some hot dogs and hamburgers. We invite you to bring you know, a side dish or dessert or some drinks. And uh, we're just going to fellowship and rejoice together in the, wor- uh, the work of God in the lives of those who are being baptized. And so it's a great time. I encourage you to be there next Sunday afternoon, 4 o'clock, and, uh, at the home of Jesse and Rose Hernandez. Well, the following Sunday, that would be the 11th of September, we're beginning again the course called Equipped to Walk. And it's a six-week course uh, that's really about the practical how-tos of the Christian life, how to have a devotional life, how to have... Uh, you know, spend time in prayer, how to live holy unto the Lord and how to be filled with the Spirit, those types of things. We all know as believers, you know, that we're supposed to do those things, but oftentimes we lack in how do I do it? What does it look like in my life? And so this course is really designed to, to help you understand and teach you some practical ways to be able to put those things into practice and uh, and continue to walk with God and grow in your relationship with Him. So that's going to be happening on Sunday evenings starting September the 11th at 6 p.m. here at the church. And uh, I encourage you to be a part of it. There's a sign-up sheet on the back table. You can come even if you don't sign up. But if you sign up, it helps because I have to print and put all the booklets together. And so it helps me, you know, get a, a rough estimate and know how many booklets and, uh, and things I need to put together. So uh, if you do sign up, it does help a lot. Also, the guys wanted me to remind you the men's fishing trip is coming up uh, the end of next month, and so your deposits are due. There's a sign-up sheet on the back table, and you can talk to Larry or Carlos Wayanka after service and get more information about that. Uh, I think there's seven spots left, so you want to make sure that you get signed up if, uh, if the Lord's leading you to participate. All right, well, this morning we're in John chapter 7. Would you stand with me as we read our portion together? And at this time, the junior high and high schoolers are dismissed for their class. John chapter 7, we'll be looking at verses 37 through 39, and since it's only three verses, let's all read the verses together, okay? Not every other one, but all of them we'll read together. And so, verse 37, 38, and 39, starting in verse 37, it says this, On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we are gathered here in your name today, 
Lord, we thank you for the great work that you're doing. We thank you, Lord, for your continued presence here with us, that you have not cast us off and that you've not given up on us, but, Lord, that you continue to meet with us and to minister to us, to supply our need, to fulfill us. And, Lord, I pray that you would continue that work this morning as we look at your word that you would speak to us and challenge our hearts. And Lord, that you would call us forward in the, the calling, Lord, in the vision, in the areas that you've called us to take steps of faith. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to go forward in obedience in response to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you greet a couple people around you and then you can be seated. Boy, it's great to be with you guys today. There's a lot of guests today. Uh, I don't have time to, to, to announce them all to you, but make sure you look around and introduce yourself to uh, someone you don't recognize because uh, a lot of them are from, uh, from old school days or people we've seen around in different fellowships around the world. And so make sure you uh, say hi and share the love of Christ with them. But this morning, as we look at John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39, these verses may be really familiar to you because, well, this is the theme passage or the theme scriptures for this church. In fact, this from these verses is where this church gets its name. Because there in verse 38, Jesus says, Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And so when Pastor Tom began the church 20 years ago, uh, he named it Living Water Fellowship, and uh, we became Calvary Chapel Living Water a few years later. And, and that's where this name, the name of this church is based out of, here in John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39. And we're here this morning in this portion, instead of the Gospel of Luke, because God's been doing a, a different work in my heart for the past couple of months. And he's impressed upon me this special message that, uh, that I'm sharing with you this morning. And what God has done is he's asked me to clarify and to verbalize who we are as a church and what he has called us to do. And so this morning I want to share with you those things that God has put upon our hearts and those things that God is calling us forward to as he brings clarity and specific direction to us. I liken it to Abraham. And you might remember in Genesis when God called Abraham he didn't give him a road map into the promised land. He said, Abraham, you need to go and go to the land that I will show you. And so God just said him, told him to pack up and move out. And then later on, clarity and specific direction was given to Abraham. But first he just started to go. That's what God called him to do. And God often works that way, even in our lives this day. He gives some instruction he doesn't always give us the why that he's given us the instruction. He doesn't tell us the reasons necessarily. And most often, he doesn't give us the whole roadmap with all the details either. He just gives us the direction and he tells us, take this step and go that way. And then later on, as we're doing the things that he called us to do, he gives us the next step and the more specific direction that we need. Much like he did with 
Philip in the book of Acts chapter 8. Remember, Philip was working there and there's a great uh, you know, work of God going on and people were getting saved. And then God tells Philip, hey, leave this place and go out into the middle of the desert. He didn't tell him why. He didn't tell him what was going to happen there. He just said, go. And then when Philip got there to the middle of nowhere, then God told him in the next thing, okay, now catch up with that chariot and share the gospel with them. And, and so he gave the specifics later on as he was obedient to the things that God had already shown to him. When I first stepped in here at Calvary Chapel Living Water as a pastor, uh, it was seven years ago. And uh, it was in May of 2004. I just got married. I just got back from my honeymoon. While I was gone, Pastor Tom had announced that he was leaving, that I was taking over. And so we got back from our honeymoon and immediately we got involved in the ministry and pastoring the church here and, and all the things that that entailed. And during that time, many people came up to me and would ask me, what's your vision, Jerry? What's, what's the vision now going forward for this church? What is it going to be like? What are we going to do? And honestly, at that time, I was so overwhelmed with the responsibility and trying to figure out what does it even mean that I'm a pastor of the church? What does it mean? What does God want me to do? You know, I was pretty overwhelmed at that point. And the vision, the only thing I could hold on to was what God gave me out of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12, which, was, or which says, equip the saints for the work of ministry. That's what God gave pastors to the church to do, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And so when people asked what my vision was, I would share, that's my vision, I'm to equip the saints for the work of ministry. It was very broad, it was very general, and I didn't even fully understand what it means. Still today I'm learning what that means. But, but even then I was even more clueless. I was just, you know, I'm going to go forward step by step, moment by moment, just relying upon the Lord uh, as much as I can day by day. Well now, seven years later, fast forwarding a little bit, now God over the past couple of months has been stirring up within my heart some specifics, some clarity to the, the vision and the direction that he originally sent us down. And so he's giving a little bit more clarity. Now, again, I want to share, I don't know why, and I really don't know what it will mean for us, but this is just the next step as we seek to be obedient to God. And so over the past couple of months, I've been wrestling and praying and with the, the board as well and some of the leaders wrestling and praying over many different things and seeking to do what God asked me to do, which was to clarify and verbalize who we are as a church and what he's called us to do. And there was a lot of things that went into that, but we settled on, the Lord led us back to John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39. And from that, we developed the following statement. Here it is. The purpose of Calvary Chapel Living Water is to equip the saints. We're familiar with that part. That's, that's good. To equip the saints to invite people to Jesus, to believe in Jesus. Oh, I went too far, huh? There you go. Let me start over then. <laughs> the purpose of Calvary Chapel Living Water is to equip the saints to invite people to Jesus, to believe in Jesus, and to serve one another in love by the Holy Spirit. As we wrestled with, as we sought the Lord, these are the things, these are the core elements of who God has called us to be and what God has called us to do. And we kind of narrow it down to invite, believe, and serve. This is who we are as a church. This is who God has called Calvary Chapel Living Water to be. To be a gathering together of believers 
who invite people to Jesus, who believe in Jesus, and who serve one another in love. And these three things will shape the focus going forward as a church of the things that we do and the activities that we have, the studies that we involve ourselves in. These will shape the foundation of this church as we go forward. These three things are for us as a church corporately, but also I want to encourage you this morning that these three things are for us individually. Because the only way that we can be a gathering of believers that invites and believes and serves is if each of us is inviting and believing and serving. And as each one of us is involved in these three things, as we gather together, we will be a gathering of believers who accomplish, who, who are doing these three things. This is what God has called us to do. And so these three things are my points for this morning. The three things that we find here in John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39, and what God has called us to do, who God has called us to be. Now before we get into that part, let me give you a little bit of background into the, the feast that's going on, the context of what's happening here in John chapter 7. Jesus is in Jerusalem. He's at the temple for the Feast of Tabernacles as this scripture is taking place. The Feast of Tabernacles was one of the three required feasts for the Jewish people. And so all of the Jews throughout Israel were commanded to go to Jerusalem to celebrate this feast. And so everyone who is obedient would be there in Jerusalem. And so you can imagine it was a packed house. I mean, Jerusalem was crowded. This feast was going on. And it was a week-long feast that was given to remind them of the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness that took place under Moses. It was a feast to remind them of God's miraculous provision as they were out there in the wilderness. And so they would set up these booths or these tabernacles, or we might call them tents, and that would remind them as the people were in tents for the 40 years throughout the wilderness. And they would also have these large candles set up all around the temple area which would remind them of the pillar of fire that would lead them and protect them uh, at night there in the wilderness. They would also have an important part of the, the, the feast was the water ceremony. And the priest would take a, a golden pitcher down to the pool of Siloam near the temple. He would fill it with water. He would bring it back up to the temple and pour it into a basin there at the altar in the temple. And during this time, it was like a little procession or parade that would take place that would go along with the priest. And the people would be celebrating and rejoicing because they're remembering how God provided water from the rock in Exodus chapter 17. And God miraculously provided water to the people in the wilderness for 40 years as they wandered. And so it's a reminder for them of the things that God has brought them through and brought them out of. Well, this specific day, this specific portion takes place on the last day of the feast. The last day of the feast is known as the great day. And on this day, the priest would march around the altar seven times before pouring the water from the pool of Siloam into the basin there at the altar. And it was at that time, most likely, it was during that procession that Jesus stands up and makes this announcement that he cries out to the people And that's what we have here in verses 37 through 39. So as we look at it, point number one this morning, what God has called us to do, who he has called us to be, he's called us to invite people to Jesus. Invite people to Jesus. Look at verse 37 with me. It says, On the last day, that great day of the feast, 
Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Now, as we look at this first point, inviting people to Jesus, I want to make sure that this is clear. The point here and what God has called us to do as a body of believers is to invite people to Jesus, not necessarily to church. He's called us to invite people to Jesus. The purpose of this church is to expand the kingdom of God, not necessarily to expand this church. Does that make sense? That our goal is to save people from hell, to bring them the gospel message so that they can be delivered from judgment and have the hope of eternal life. It's not so much about the numbers here as it is about the numbers of the kingdom of God. And so as we look at inviting people to Jesus, I want to make sure that it's clear. I'm not saying, you know, our job is to just bring a bunch of people to church, but our job is to reach people with the gospel message. That's what God has called us to do. And what we see here is Jesus extends an invitation to the people. And now he's passed on that invitation to us and we are to invite them to Jesus. Now he extends this invitation during a time of great celebration, during probably this water ceremony that was going on. One of the ancient rabbis wrote, anyone who has not seen this water ceremony has never seen rejoicing in his life. And so it was the, the ultimate picture of rejoicing and celebration as they would bring this water back into the temple. So picture this big scene, you know. People are excited, they're cheering, they're celebrating. And in the midst of that, Jesus stands up and he cries out. The, the, the word really talks about him screaming out. He's shouting out, Hey, listen to me. Anyone who's thirsty, come to me and drink. And you see the priest, you know, carrying the pitcher of water and this connection, Jesus says, look, if you're thirsty, this water ceremony can't satisfy you. You're not fulfilled. If you're thirsty, come to me and drink. He gives this invitation. And of course, Jesus is not talking about physical thirst. He doesn't have an ice chest full of Gatorades, you know, that he's given out to people if they're thirsty. No, he's talking about something much deeper, something more real and much more serious the long-lasting need that is a spiritual thirst. It's a thirst that every human being has. Every person on the face of the earth who's ever lived has had this thirst because of our sinful condition. Because we are spiritually dead apart from Christ. And that creates in us this thirst, this longing for life, this longing for meaning, for purpose. We long for something more. And there's only one who can satisfy that thirst, and that's Jesus. He's the only one who can say, if you're thirsty, come to me and drink. And many of us have experienced, we've found out, we've tried to quench that thirst with other things. And people have tried everything under the sun. Success, partying, riches, sex, fun, religion... We've tried all kinds of things to try to fulfill that need, to try to give our life meaning and purpose, to, to try to be satisfied, to quench that thirst. And we found none of those things work. They might distract us for a short season, but they don't fulfill us. Jesus, on the other hand, in John chapter 10, verse 10, 
says that He came that we may have life and have it more abundantly. That our life would be overflowing, abounding in life. Jesus said in John 14.6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by me. He is the only one who can give us abundant life. He's the only one because He is the life. He's the only one who can satisfy our need and quench our thirst. He's the only one who can meet our need. And so Jesus gives the invitation. And He has called you and I. He's called Calvary Chapel Living Water to continue to extend that invitation to the people around us because people are still thirsty and He's still the only one who can meet their need. And so we're to give the invitation to invite people to Jesus. And so we do that corporately in our services as much as possible, as much as the Lord leads. We present the gospel. We give opportunity for people to come to Jesus, to respond to His invitation. But it's not just something that happens at church. It's something that also needs to take place in each of our lives. Individually, God has called you and he's called me to invite people to Jesus. That's true of pastors. It's true of church leaders. It's true of board members. It's true of ushers. It's true of youth. It's true of children. It's true of those who just come and attend and sit in the services. It's true of every person that God has gathered together here and called to be a member of Calvary Chapel Living Water. That our job is to invite people to Jesus. We find that given specifically in the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. The Great Commission is a command that Jesus gave And it's a command that's for every believer in Jesus. It's not just for the 11 disciples that were there on the mountain with him. It's not just for the other disciples that were there on the mountain along with the 11. It's not just for pastors and leaders. It's for every follower of Jesus. That our commission, what he has commanded us to do, Matthew 28, 19 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Now, we don't have time to really dig into the Great Commission and those verses this morning, but I can tell you confidently that if you study those verses, you'll find that that was a command that's given to his disciples, and that continues to today. For a believer in Jesus, for a disciple of Jesus, our commission is to go and make disciples. One of the ways you can see that is at the end of verse 20, he says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The original 11 disciples, the original crowd that was there when Jesus announced this and shared this with them, they're not with us today. But Jesus said, I'll be with you till the end of the age. Because all of the disciples, from then until the end of the age, he's with them to help them fulfill this command, to invite people to Jesus. And so as a disciple of Jesus, you have a responsibility to make disciples, to share the gospel message, and to help people grow in a relationship with God. As a member of this gathering of believers here at this church, we each have responsibility to invite people to Jesus. 
and I'll share with you honestly, this is an area where God wants to do a work in our lives individually, in my life as well, not just yours. I have the habit, I don't know, maybe you have this habit as well, but my habit is to invite people to church. Is that your habit? Is that what you do to, to normally? I invite people to church. I invite people to the Harvest Crusade. But for some reason, I always forget to invite people to Jesus. You know, I think, well, get them here, and then they can hear the gospel, and then they can get saved. And there's nothing wrong with inviting people to church, and that's good. There's nothing wrong with inviting people to the Harvest Crusade. That's good. We need to do that. Those aren't bad things. But that's not all that God has asked us to do. He's asked us to share the gospel, to make disciples. And so we need to invite people to Jesus, personally, individually, to share with them the good news, as well as invite them to church or the Harvest Crusade. But understand, you know, if it's the Harvest Crusade you're waiting for, then, you know, one time a year you give them an opportunity to get saved. You don't know if they'll be around next year. You don't know if you'll be around next year. Or if you're waiting till Sunday service, you don't know if you'll be here for Sunday service. You don't know if they'll be here for Sunday service. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. We need to be inviting people to Jesus and sharing the gospel message. Each of us individually. That's me. That's pastors and leaders here. That's ministry leaders. That's ushers. That's youth members. Each of us, every one of us has a responsibility to invite people to Jesus. Our job as a church is to equip the saints, to equip you to do that. And so we do courses like Equip to Share, and we'll be offering that again in the coming months. We uh, have you know, uh, the outreaches that, that we've been do- going on, and we now are providing on the back table. There's tracks, there's invitation cards, there's those types of things. They're free. Help yourself. Take as many as you need, because we just want to give you some tools and some things to help you Share the gospel as God gives you opportunity. This is going to be an area of growth for us as a church, for me personally, and probably for you personally too. Now you might be thinking, well, I'm not really a gifted evangelist, you know, it's not my calling and those kinds of things. And that may be true. Not all of us are gifted evangelists. Not all of us are called to do what Greg Glory does. However, all of us are called and commanded and commissioned by Jesus to evangelize and to share the gospel. And if you want to experience the power of God, if you want to experience the power of the Holy Spirit, then what you need to do is share the gospel. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, as Jesus is preparing to ascend, he tells the disciples, wait, when you receive the Holy Spirit, you'll receive power to be witnesses to me. Again, because their job was to invite people to Jesus. The baptism of the Holy Spirit empowers us to be witnesses to Jesus, to invite people to Jesus. And he says, you'll be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and then to the end of the earth. And I'm going to rephrase that a little bit. You'll be witnesses to Jesus in your home, in your local community, and then to the ends of the earth. That's why Jesus has empowered us with the Holy Spirit. That's why he's given to us the Holy Spirit, that we could invite people to Jesus. And so I want to encourage you this morning. God has called this church, this fellowship, to be a gathering of believers who invites people to Jesus. And so let's go forward. I know it's scary. I know it's difficult. I know it takes faith. But the power of the Holy Spirit will be upon you. 
as you present the gospel message, as you share and invite people to Jesus as he gives you opportunity. Well, the second thing we find here in John seven thirty-seven through 39 that God has called for us as a church is to believe in Jesus. To believe in Jesus is found in verse 38. It says this, He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus gives the invitation, and now he tells us how the invitation is received. He says, you receive this thirst quenching that I offer to you by believing in me. Now, you and I use the word believe pretty casually today. We believe this, and it may or may not be true. We're not quite sure. It's, it's not really the way that the Bible uses the word believe. The word believe, it means to be persuaded of or to place confidence in. It's a strong word. That means when you believe, you base your life upon it. It's not just an intellectual acknowledgement that I agree God does exist or I agree Jesus died on the cross or even I agree Jesus rose from the dead. It's not just the intellectual acknowledgement that, that you agree with something that is true. It then is followed by a lifestyle of obedience as a response to that belief. Maybe think about it this way and it will help you. Do you believe in gravity? Do you believe in gravity? Well, I hope you do. But I don't have to hope you do because I can tell you do. Because none of you are bracing for impact with the ceiling. None of you are taking any precautions at all. You're not worried about your head getting chopped off by the ceiling fan. And each step you take proves, it shows that you believe in gravity because you are basing each step and everything you do on that belief. Well, that's the same type of idea in believing in Jesus. That we are to base our life and each step on the reality of who Jesus is and what he's done for us and obedience to him. That's why James was able to say in James chapter 2, faith without works is dead not possibly is dead or is almost dead faith without works is dead james says look if your life is unchanged you don't have faith if your life is no different you do not believe where there is faith when a person does believe there's real change because your life now is based upon the truth the reality of who jesus is and what he's called us to do So what does it look like when a gathering of people who believe in Jesus are together? What does it look like when people who believe in Jesus get together to have church? Well, we find a picture of that in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And there in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it tells us that they, that is the disciples, the church, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. It says they continued steadfastly. The word believe, when Jesus says, he who believes in me, it's in the present tense, which means it's an ongoing thing. It's not a one time you said a prayer on the field or you you know, came forward in an invitation type of thing, but it's an ongoing, a constant and continual belief and lifestyle in Jesus. And we see that here in Acts 2.42. He says they continued steadfastly. It's ongoing. It's continual. 
It's not a one-time thing. Well, what did they continue to do? What did their belief manifest itself as? Well, there's four things, he says. The first is doctrine. We'll just touch on these briefly. But doctrine is the apostles' doctrine. And what was the apostles' doctrine? Well, they taught about Jesus. We find that teaching in the Gospels here in our Bibles. They taught about the church and gave instruction to the church. That's found in the epistles, the rest of the New Testament. But they also taught the Old Testament, the scriptures, and they revealed how those applied to and spoke of Jesus. And so basically, when you sum it all up, the apostles' doctrine is really the whole counsel of God's word. They were teaching the Old Testament, they were talking about Jesus, and they were giving instructions to the church. And the church that gathered together continued steadfastly in the word of God, in the whole counsel of God's word. They were reading it, they were studying it, but most importantly, they were obeying it. Like James tells us in James 1.22, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. They were putting it into practice. And so to believe in Jesus means that we base our life on obedience to his word. That we live our lives in obedience to what he has instructed us here in the scriptures. Well, the second thing we find is that they were involved continually, steadfastly in fellowship. And this is another word that we use pretty casually today around the church. It's, we use it kind of in the idea of hanging out, you know, having a good time, food, fun, fellowship, you know, uh, that type of thing. But the word actually has a lot more depth to it than that, a lot more meaning to it. It's the word koinonia, which you've probably heard referred to from time to time. And koinonia has the idea of community or joint participa- participation as well as intimacy. And so there's an intimacy as we join together. It's the idea of being interconnected. Joining together, working together, sharing our lives together. And that means, which makes some of us uncomfortable, it means sharing issues that we go through, sharing our struggles and our our fears, as well as sharing our joys and our celebrations together. So it means we weep with those who weep, we rejoice with those who rejoice. It means we, we share in those different things that each other is going through. We celebrate together, we worship together, we pray together, we praise together. And so this fellowship is this partnership in each other's lives, this community, this intimacy that we have as believers. And so believing in Jesus will involve in sharing our lives and sharing in the lives of those believers around us in the body that God has placed us in. Well, then we also see that they continued steadfastly in the breaking of bread. The breaking of bread also shares with us or tells us that we don't only deal with deep, hardcore, soul-searching stuff, but we also love to hang out and have a good meal together. It includes the idea of communion as well, too. And so it's the idea of just celebrating together, having a good meal together, enjoying life with each other. And so believing in Jesus will manifest itself in that way as well. And we do that, you know, sometimes we have potlucks like we will next week. Hopefully you'll join us. Sometimes we just go out to lunch after service or get together throughout the week and just, just enjoy a good meal together. That's, that's an important part of the Christian life as well. Well, then the fourth thing here in Acts 2.42 is they continued steadfastly in prayers. That's personal prayer. That's, you know, personal prayer time. Corporate prayer, praying together, praying for one another. 
it's going to be a big part of those who believe in Jesus because we're walking with him. We're walking in relationship with the Father through Jesus and prayer is an essential part of that. And so believers in Jesus will gather together and commune with the Father together, lifting up certain needs or situations or just spending time in his presence and enjoying who he is and what he's done for us. And so God has called us to be a gathering of believers who invite people to Jesus, but also believe in Jesus. And again, these are things for us corporately as a church, but individually God has called us to these things, to be inviting people to Jesus and believing in Jesus, manifesting itself in doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and in prayer. Well, point number three as we continue on is that you and I are now called to serve one another in love. Look at verse 38 and 39 again. It says, He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Serving one another in love. Jesus says, those who respond to the invitation and believe in me, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. What did he mean by rivers of living water? Well, he tells us there in verse 39, this he spoke concerning the Spirit. This rivers of living water flowing forth from those who believe is a reference to the Holy Spirit. And when you believe in Jesus as Savior and Lord, the Holy Spirit begins to indwell within you. And you have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you as a believer in Jesus. But that's not the limit of what the Holy Spirit was given to us to accomplish or to do. The Holy Spirit will also flow forth from believers, not just fill us, but flow from us. I I like the way that Warren Wiersbe puts it. He says, Believers would not only drink the living water, but they would become channels of living water to bless a thirsty world. Channels of living water. That God wants to work in quenching your thirst, but then also using you, allowing you to be a channel through which the Holy Spirit is able to impact and minister to the people that God has placed around you. Now, as Jesus was speaking this, the Holy Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. But that has taken place. He was crucified. He resurrected. He ascended to the Father. He's in glory. Now the Holy Spirit has been given to every believer in Jesus. So if you believe in Jesus, the Holy Spirit dwells within you. But if you believe in Jesus, the Holy Spirit also will overflow your life so that you impact others around you and you will be a channel for the Holy Spirit to work. It takes some participation on our part, though. You've often heard it said, it's not about your ability, it's your availability. And sometimes our channels are closed and they're clogged up with things that ought not to be there. But if we will make ourselves available to God the Holy Spirit will flow through our lives. And He'll use us to participate in His work and to impact people around us 
sharing the gospel with them or encouraging them to continue in the faith. If you believe in Jesus, the Holy Spirit can flow through you to overflow your life. And that looks like what we call service or ministry. When the Holy Spirit is flowing from us, flowing out through us, it looks like service. We're ministering or serving one another. And whether that's meeting some practical needs, some financial needs, some you know physical needs, or whether it's meeting some spiritual needs, praying for one another, teaching one another, encouraging one another, whatever the case may be. The Holy Spirit flowing forth from us manifests itself, it's revealed, as we serve one another in love. As we meet the needs that are in each other's lives, whatever they might be. Jesus says rivers of living water will flow forth from us. This word rivers, it's the idea of a torrent or a flood. It's not, you know, a trickle. He didn't say the Holy Spirit will trickle forth from your life. Or there'll be sprinkles or drops. But he, he said rivers. It's the idea of a continual flow. A continual service to one another. A continual meeting of the needs of those around us. It, it, does that describe your life? Is your life a continual and substantial flow of meeting other people's needs? Are you allowing the Holy Spirit to flow through you in the way that He wants to? The culture in which we live in today, I think, distorts our view of the church. Because the culture that we live in really is so caught up in superstars. We're so caught up in the one person or the small group of people. You could think about a football game perhaps. And there on the field is the teams that are playing. But in the stands are thousands of people who are focused on, who are watching, who are celebrating what these guys are doing on the field. And a lot of times Christians carry that into the church. That it's, you know, the crowd that stands and watches one or a couple people do the work of God. But that's not how God has called us to be. That's a major distortion of how God has designed the church. God has designed the church for us to be interdependent upon one another and so that each one of us has a part to play. In Ephesians chapter 4 verse 16, you can see this so clearly. There, Paul is talking about the body of Christ, the responsibility of leaders and pastors within the church. But he goes on in verse 16 to say, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. Talking about people as members of the body of Christ, he says every joint supplies the joining together, the unity of the body of Christ is dependent upon each member of the body of Christ. And we can only be united and joined and knit together as each of us joins ourselves and knits ourselves together with the others that God has called around us. But he goes on to say, according to the effective working by which every part does its share. This body, this church can only be effective, it is only effective when every part does its share. Now if God's called you to be part of this fellowship or whatever fellowship He's called you to be part of, that fellowship, this fellowship, we can only be effective 
if each of the members does its share and fulfills its role. And when we're missing that, then the church itself is lacking and not as effective as it could be. I think my physical condition right now with my crutches is a great picture of that. Because I've got one little piece of my foot that's out of commission. And yet, look how much that has affected my whole body. And it's affected what I can do. It's affected how I do things. I'm much more limited than if I had each member fulfilling its role. The same is true of the body of Christ. We can only be effective. Going forward in the things that God wants and has called this church to fulfill and to do, we can only be effective as each member, as each part does its share. Well, that's not all. Paul goes on in Ephesians 4.16 to say, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. The only way for us to grow is for each part to do its share. The only way that we can be edified and built up in the faith is for each one to be fulfilling the role that God has given to them. You see, God has designed the body of Christ to be interconnected. And if this is the church that he's called you to, we need you to do your part and you need me to do my part. And without each other, we're lacking and we can't grow. And I'm not talking about numerical growth, I'm talking about spiritual growth, development. We cannot mature. God's designed it in such a way that in order for me to mature as a Christian, as a believer, in my walk with Him, I need you to fulfill your role. And you need each other to fulfill your roles. He's designed it so that every part has, has a role to play, has a responsibility. And as we each do our part, then we're effective and then we grow. Also, this means He's designed it this way so that each member has a part, each member has a role, and so each member shares in the reward. Because we all have a part to play when the work of God is accomplished and the kingdom of God is advanced, all of us get equal reward. Again, we're used to the, you know, spectator. We're used to watching and they're on the field and then they get the reward because they did the work. But God's designed the body so that Every part has a, has a share, has a role to play, and then each part gets an equal share. When someone gets saved at church, it's not just the person speaking who gets a reward. But every person who's praying, every person who's serving in some capacity, the people who are you know, watching the kids, every person gets the eternal reward. It's the same share, it's equal share for all those who are involved in the work of God whatever capacity that they serve in. That's how God has designed the body of Christ. And so if God has called you to Calvary Chapel Living Water, then let me encourage you to engage. We're lacking without you. Engage in the outreaches that are going on. Engage in the ministries that are taking place. Engage in prayer for one another and encouraging one another. Engage in what God has called you to do. It's really a matter of stewardship. Because... Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, he says, as each one has received a gift. So right away we know every member of the body of Christ has received a gift, a spiritual gift, has received from God a supernatural capacity 
to serve the body. Each member, everyone has received a gift. And so he says, since that's true, minister it to one another. Since you've received a gift, now put it into practice. Put it into action. Use the gift that God has given to you and minister to one another. And he finishes by saying, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. It's a matter of stewardship. God is given to you. He's entrusted to you by His grace. Not because you've earned it or because you're so awesome. But because of His grace, He's entrusted you with a gift. And as a steward, because He's entrusted you with this responsibility to be a good steward, you have to use it. You have to serve. You have to put it into practice. And so I would ask you this morning, how are you using the gift that God has given to you? How are you involved in the work that He's called you to? How are you ministering to one another here at Calvary Chapel Living Water? I can share with you honestly, I am immensely blessed by the people of this church. And many of you have been a huge part of my personal spiritual walk and growth. And whether you know it or not, it's true. Because that's how God has designed the body. You've been essential in my life. And you're essential in each other's lives. We need to minister to one another so that God can continue that work, whether it be a spiritual need, a physical need, or whatever. Using the gifts that God has given to us. to meet one another's needs. And so these are the three points of clarification that God has given to me for this church. Going forward, these will shape the activities that we do, the functions that we have, the direction that we go. This is our focus. This is our goal. This is what God has given to us to accomplish, to be a gathering of believers that invites people to Jesus, believes in Jesus, and serves one another in love by the Holy Spirit. And so I want to encourage each of you to be involved in these things. As we go forward, engage, involve yourself in sharing the gospel message. Involve yourself in believing in Jesus and studying the word and putting it into practice in the fellowship and breaking of bread and prayers and minister to one another in the gifts that God has given to you. Amen? One last thing before we pray. Maybe you're here today and you are thirsty and Jesus still extends the same invitation. Of course, I don't mean physical thirst. But you've found yourself unfulfilled and unsatisfied. And you've tried other things and you've found that they do not quench that thirst. They can't meet your need. They can't give you abundant life. But Jesus can. And so Jesus offers to you this day an invitation. Believe in Him. Put your trust in Him. Base your life upon who He is in obedience to Him. And you will find, not only does He quench your thirst, 
but He will overflow you and you will get to be a part of an eternal work as He accomplishes the work of God through you. And you receive that by believing in Jesus, by placing your trust in Him. We have the thirst because we've sinned and we fall short of the glory of God. And because we've sinned, we deserve judgment. But He died upon the cross that we might be forgiven that we might have life in His name and we receive that by believing in Him. And if you want to believe in Him, you can pray this prayer in your heart. Let's all bow our heads. And if you want to receive Jesus, if you want your thirst quenched, just pray this prayer in your heart after me. Lord Jesus, I am thirsty and it's because I need You. I ask that You would forgive me of my sin. I believe that You died on the cross for me and I receive You as my Savior and my Lord. I turn from my sin and I commit myself to follow you. Please fill my life and change my heart and make me like you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I lift up this body to you. And I pray, God, as you've called us here as a gathering together of believers, I pray that you would give us opportunity, each of us individually this week, God, but that we would have opportunity to share the gospel. I pray that you would bring people to our door, bring people to our tables, send us to their cubicles, however you desire to do it. Give us opportunity to share your love with somebody, to give the invitation and to share the good news of salvation in you this week. God, I pray that you would help us also to believe in you. And Lord, that it wouldn't just be an intellectual acknowledgement, but Lord, that our life would be based upon the reality of who you are and we'd be obedient to you in studying your word and obeying it and fellowshipping with other believers and breaking bread together in prayer. Lord, that we would be faithful, continuing steadfastly in those things. And God, I pray that you would help us to serve one another in love. Lord, that you would equip us and enable us to use the gifts that you've given to us, that you'd help us to open our eyes and that you'd show us those opportunities, Lord, that we wouldn't be so consumed with ourselves and our own needs and our own difficulties, but Lord, that we would see the needs of the people around us. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to take those steps, to overcome, Lord, whatever may be blocking our way and to reach out and minister to those who are in need around us. Help us, God, to love each other enough to serve one another. I pray, Lord, that you would accomplish these things in our lives individually. Lord, that we might be the gathering of believers that you've called us to be. Lord, that we could accomplish your work and your purpose for this church. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.